what is good everybody let me know if y'all can hear me in the chat An uh, listen <clears throat> another probably I, I would say shorter show just because man, we only got four games to talk about next weekend we got the semifinals the celebration bowl we have a lot of content coming your guys way and i'm really really excited to bring it to y'all we're gonna have multiple live streams this week previewing all the different games and <clears throat> it's probably going to be the most exciting weekend that i'm in of the season we got some really great games north dakota state hosting cardinate word montana state heading up to brookens uh for a rematch with montana state in the, uh, or south dakota state in the semifinals and i can't wait to see that one and then also you got jackson state Last game with Coach Prime going up against North Carolina Central in the Celebration Bowl. Are they going to be able to pull it out, win the last game before Prime? And a lot of that staff head to Boulder, Colorado to take over the Buffs' open head coaching job. But before we get into the games, everyone knows where I was this weekend. I made the trip. I finally made the trip up to Bozeman, Montana. And so I want to talk about that a little bit as people kind of roll in. I want to give a shout out to the amazing people up there in Montana. Uh, it was cold. I know that's the first question. It was freezing the night of the game. It, it was, it, I've never been that cold in my life in the second half. Now, the cold wasn't bad the first half. I was doing my thing, taking pictures, having an absolute blast. I'm telling you, it might have been because the game got out of hand. But when it was 55 to nothing in the second half, it's, 10 30 11 o'clock local time and it's pitch black the wind's picking up it was cold i'm just gonna throw it out there man i had gloves hoodie a, a big jacket thermal compression stuff on also had one of the face coverings i mean i was absolutely bundled up and it was freezing in the second half and i gotta give the montana state fans a lot of credit it, now the swag the SWAC championship up to this point has been one of the best environments I've been in. And they had more people at the SWAC championship than what Montana state put in the crowd this weekend. But I'm telling you the, I believe the numbers were somewhere around like 18,000. It was, it was almost a sellout up there at Montana state for that crowd with the weather, with the time of the kickoff being like eight 30 at night, local time, they showed up and they were loud. The student section was there. They were in the front row, no shirts, heckling William and Mary from the jump. And that was by far the loudest, most intimidating environment that I've seen all season long at the FCS level. Montana State fans are legit. It was an intimidating environment and it was amazing. And I do want to give a huge shout out to my guy, Walter Harmon. Also, also, my guy Daniel and, and everyone I got to meet this weekend, thank you guys so much for all the hospitality. If you haven't seen it, I got an interview with um, the running back coach before the game, the night before the game, a live interview with him. Got to talk, got to break down some film and everything like that. So it was, it, it, it was great, man. I, I, I had an absolute blast after the game, got to enjoy the press conferences, got to go get some dinner after the game with, with uh, Walter and, and his friend after the game. I appreciate y'all. I really do. Y'all made that the best trip I could have had. I, it was by far the longest trip, especially yesterday. Listen, I, I was in the airport yesterday. I got to Bozeman's airport about 1030 in the morning, mountain time. 
And I did not get off the plane in Louisiana, in New Orleans, until 12.30 p.m. Central Time. I was in the airport on a plane that long, so it was like 10 a.m. Mountain Time up to after midnight. And then still had to drive the two and a half hours to Mobile after I got off my flight from New Orleans. So it was a trip yesterday, but we're here. I had a blast in Bozeman. I will be back Thank you guys so much for everyone I met. Got to go check out a basketball game and, and everything. So appreciate everyone I met. And there's my guy Walter in here. Definitely appreciate you, man. And I, I, if I'm not mistaken, Daniel's in here too. Appreciate you, Daniel, for sure. And I will definitely be at a cat. Um, I, I will definitely be at a cat grizz game. That's that's next on my list. Front. Also got to go check out what Montana has going over there. I heard it was an amazing environment as well. I, I'm looking forward to. I'm looking forward to experiencing that. And Sonny Boo, that's the biggest thing, in my opinion. So the biggest difference between Jackson State and Montana State, and just in terms of the crowd involvement, the atmosphere, and how intimidating it is, Sonic Boom, and me and you, me and you, Sonic, have talked about this on the stream. It's because the Montana State stands are so close to the sidelines and so on top of the field that it it it's like barrels down onto you with Jackson you've got like that big sidewalk in between the sidelines and it seems like the fans are a million miles away from the field Montana State you can't escape even when I was trying to go around the sidelines to to get on the other side of the field to take pictures it felt like there was no room between the players and, and the um or the benches and the uh the fans yeah, they are on top of you and there's nowhere to go especially the student section in the back of the end zone I mean they are on top of you, and you can hear everything they're saying. Even before the game, the fans are so close that they were talking crap to the players and coaches, and they were just having like a normal conversation voices. You didn't even have to yell to talk crap to the players on the field. You could just say it in a normal talking tone, just like I'm talking right now. They can hear you, and Mr. Campbell's got a great point too. They were that drunk, and I give them this. I'll say this. They were drunk, Mr. Campbell, because if you weren't drunk, it was too damn cold to be out there in some short sleeve shirts and no shirts like some of the student sections, uh, student section guys were. They were ready, and the kickoff went till 8.15 local time. So you can imagine how long during the day they had time to prepare for that game, and it was a, and it was a quarterfinal game. The, the fans were ready. But that's my experience in Bozeman. It was beautiful up there, by the way. That is one of the most beautiful locations and cities that I've ever been to. I I don't I can't tell you how many pictures my family and friends got of the mountains and and everything like that. It was beautiful up there, and I can't wait to come visit when it's not snowing and freezing. He, <laughs> Sonic Boo said we need more drunk shirtless swag fans. <laughs> probably so, probably so. I, I'm, I'm I will say Sonic Boom the last swag stadium that is probably on my list that I have to experience that are that is high on my list. There's a few that I want to go to, but I need to go to Bragg. I've heard for a big game that Bragg is intimidating and Bragg is a really, really tough place to play. I do want to go see a FAMU game next year in Bragg. I've already talked to my guy Josh, the SID over there. I will be at a game in FAMU next year. I'm hoping to go to one of the bigger games that, that are at home. I got to look at the schedule, but I, I really, really want to see Bragg. That's the last SWAC stadium that I have to knock off because that's one of the, that's probably the most intimidating one from what I've heard. And that's the one that I haven't been to yet. 
uh, let's see, the Grizz hate us so much. They donated heated seats to William and Mary. They must have gave them. Ron, I saw that they were unloading. Uh, they were unloading the benches, and there were people who were trying to take pictures of it, and they wouldn't let people take pictures of it until they put the tape over the logo. It, it it's insane. UM Stadium has the fans even closer to the field. They do have a nice stadium. The best you're going to get is a brother on Hennessy in a way. <laughs> oh, you guys are way too much, man. But let's get into some actual football talk here, man. I'm going to start out with the Montana State game. By far the the least – okay, I won't say the least exciting game, but the one that I don't know what you guys want me to break down. It was 55 to nothing going into the fourth quarter. When I tell you guys, I've said it on the show before because I just had that feeling. If you haven't seen Montana State's offense work in person and how efficiently their offensive line executes, you really don't understand how great this team really is. I picked them to win the national championship before the playoffs. I'm still going to throw it out there that Montana State should be the favorite today to win the national championship. I, I, I'm sorry. I know South Dakota State fans already hate me right now. I don't know how South Dakota State's a four or four and a half point favorite over Montana State. Nothing that I've seen in the past few weeks tells me that that should be the difference. And I've, I have heard people say that this game reminded them of the South Dakota State Delaware game. Possibly, but I do think William and Mary is a better team than Delaware was this year. And William and Mary came in with a top five rushing attack this season. They were running the ball on everybody and finished the game averaging only about three and a half yards per carry, 135 yards total. And about 75 of those came in the fourth quarter when Bronson Yoder set up a big touchdown run late in the game. He went for 122 and a touchdown, but the first three quarters, they got nothing accomplished. I, I believe at halftime, William & Mary had 60 yards of total offense and only had three first downs. And in the entire game, William & Mary only had nine first downs in the entire game. They had zero answer for Montana State's defense. They played so well on the defensive side of the football, and that was my biggest concern coming into this one, was, was Montana State going to have the defensive execution to slow down the run game? And the answer was was unequivocally yes. Now, for Montana State on the other side, we know what it is. They put up 328 yards rushing, five rushing touchdowns, and averaged eight yards per carry as a team. They can run the football on anyone in the country. I'm just as at the FCS level, especially. There's there's not a defense. I don't no one can suggest a defense that's holding Montana State under 250 and, and me believe them. They can run the football on damn near anyone in the country. And I cannot wait for the matchup next week against South Dakota State. But Isaiah Afonsi had a huge game, became the school's all-time leading rusher on a, on a big touchdown run early in this game. Afonsi being healthy, coming into the playoffs, not having a lot of carries on his body due to him missing the entire season, has been a blessing in disguise for the Bobcats. He is so fresh. He's been so efficient and so explosive because they made sure he was 100% healthy that he is an issue now. 162, two touchdowns, 14.7 yards per carry in this matchup for Isaiah Afonsi. It, it was next level. Tommy Malott puts up three rushing touchdowns, had a big passing touchdown in this game as well. 
the way they can attack you in so many different ways is so hard to defend. And for William and Mary, it just became obvious that Darius Wilson did not have an answer in terms of passing. As soon as Montana State realized that they were going to be as one-dimensional as they were, the game was over. William and Mary only put up 62 yards passing. He had a big interception and was sacked three times. You cannot be one-dimensional when you get down into the quarterfinals and semifinals of the playoffs. If you're one-dimensional, you're going to get beat like this because great defenses and great teams are going to be able to exploit that time and time again. That's going to be a major issue for this William and Mary team is trying to figure out who's going to be that guy at quarterback moving forward. That's the one big question that I think William and Mary has going into next year. They return a lot of the talent that they had this season. They're going to be really good, arguably the favorites in the CAA next year. But who is going to be that guy at quarterback? They're going to have to upgrade the quarterback position if they're going to want to make a run past the quarterfinals of the playoffs. Now, Callahan O'Reilly had a big day. Ty Okada was everywhere for them. He only got credited with, I think, four tackles, two for loss. But it seemed like he was all over the field. And he was in multiple plays where he forced bad decisions by William and Mary in terms of them having to cut the wrong direction, contain plays. Ty Okada was everywhere, absolutely everywhere. And so I want to give him a big shout out to Montana State, a statement win, 55 to 7, and really and truly, it was never close from the jump. The, the explosion in the third quarter, capped off by the punt return late in that quarter, it, you could tell William & Mary had zero shot, and all the wing got taken out, especially with the interception right before halftime, too, that helped Montana State extend that lead to 27 to nothing before the half. They move on to take, take on South Dakota State, who picked up a big win this weekend, 42-21 over Holy Cross. I don't think the score... Necessary, necessarily reflects how well Holy Cross played this game. <clears throat> 21 unanswered points for South Dakota State in the fourth quarter was the difference in this one. And they just wore Holy Cross's defense down. That's, that's what it came down to. Everyone talked about can Holy Cross withstand the physicality of South Dakota State? And the answer was toward the end, no. And then on top of that, you they didn't have any offense outside of Matthew Solka, who was by far the player of the game. Matthew Solka is legit. 213 on the ground, a touchdown, averaged over eight yards per carry, put up 125 through the air. But it was the lack of efficiency in the passing game down the stretch that really hurt them. And Mr. Campbell's right here. They opened up the playbook early. And some of the plays they called were golden. That fourth down play where they ran the the pop pass with the running back where they handed it to him on fourth and one. He ran up to the line like he was about to bulldoze through. He pops it up to the tight end and he's wide open. Amazing play. Amazing play call. Perfect timing. Perfect execution. And they did really well kind of catching South Dakota State off guard early in the game. The biggest difference to me, though, is once all the trickery kind of wore off and they had to just drop Matthew Sulka back and let him throw because South Dakota State was loading the box they weren't really able to do that and that was a major problem this weekend and they had more yards than Holy Cross and uh, Holy Cross had more yards but it was one lack of red zone attempts and efficiency for Holy Cross and also missed field goals too early in the game. Holy Cross missed two big field goals, and it almost kind of took the momentum out. When you need to knock off the number one seed in their house, you cannot have mistakes like that. South Dakota State 
two for three on field goal opportunities, and I believe we're five for five in red zone opportunities. That was the difference, and Holy Cross was able only able to get to the red zone once, and then the two times they were right there, it, it killed them. And then the pick six, I, I, I know you can't bowl down a game to one play. The pick six right before halftime is, in my opinion, when this entire – is when this entire game changed. Jason Freeman's pick, it came, I just looked, it came with one minute and eight seconds left in the first half. That pick six changed the whole game. It 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 changed everything because it was 14-14. It's probably going to go into halftime tied. And you gave South Dakota State a lead right before halftime and kind of gave them all the momentum. Now Holy Cross came back in the third quarter and, sc- and scored early. But then after that, man, it was it was South Dakota State the whole way. But if you're going to knock off the number one seed on the road, you have to play perfect football. Missing two field goals, mul- multiple turnovers that turned into points, including that pick six right before halftime, was too much for Holy Cross to overcome. And I know some South Dakota State fans were mad at me because I got called out on Twitter. I don't know if y'all saw it by some of the guys who run the South Dakota State podcast when I said that I wasn't overly impressed with South Dakota State's offense, and we kind of went back and forth talking about how that was designed, but they're just going to try to grind it out with you. But the concern with me moving forward is, is are you is that sustainable at the end of the day? Like when, when you look at future matchups with possibly, the, let's just look at the three teams that are left. Incarnate Word, who's putting up 50 on everybody, North Dakota State, who get, it was a close game early in the year. It'll be interesting to see. It's tough to beat a good team twice. And then you got Montana State, who just got done putting up 55 on William & Mary and has looked dominant the past few performances. Is that type of offense going to work? Do you trust your defense that much? And, and that's a question for me. I know South Dakota State fans don't like it. I do have a worry that this offense is championship caliber. The defense is elite. The defense is is elite it's championship caliber but I do have questions of just the overall stability of the offense Mark Gronikowski only completed 50% of his passes had two big passing touchdowns though in the fourth quarter and Isaiah Davis did his thing 154 average seven yards per carry a touchdown and if you go look at Twitter the stiff arm hurt around the world where he absolutely abused a defensive back one-on-one and pretty much Derek Henry'd him in the open field I just I, I want to see can this offense reach that next level? Can South Dakota State win that shootout against a, a big time offense? That's my question. And so, some South Dakota State fans might feel like that's a shot, but the the Yankee Twins are legit. Isaiah Davis is legit. Mark Gronikowski has his moments, but is there that game changer on the offense that you can trust to take over a game when needed? That's uh, and that's that's kind of, that's kind of. That's a question, but we'll see. A defensively, man, South Dakota State played well, especially in the second half. Savion Williamson kind of came out of nowhere for them. Nine, nine total tackles played really well. Deshaun Gales as well was the guy who really stuck out to me in terms of being sideline to sideline and being kind of everywhere, man. Deshaun Gales played a really, really good game, had a big sack in that game as well. They struggled to slow Solka or, uh, Saluka early, but down the stretch, man, like I say, the one-dimensional nature of the Holy Cross offense really came to bite them. In South Dakota State's offensive line is bigger, more physical, and really wore down that Holy Cross front seven, especially with, with the absence of Jacob Dobbs, 
who's an All-American linebacker who's been out most of the year for Holy Cross. I cannot wait. I know we're about to get into to the game a lot of people are excited for. I really do think Montana State, South Dakota State is a national championship matchup. I think these are arguably two of, I think these are probably the two best teams in the country right this second in Montana State and South Dakota State. I, I really do think the winner of this next game in the semifinals is going to be the 2022 national champion. And so I cannot wait for that one. I've really, really debated on whether I want to make the trip to Brookings or Fargo next week, but the Celebration Bowls next week, I, I, and I already got some stuff set up on Radio Row with them. But, man, let's get to the side of the other side of the bracket here, and we're going to save the matchup that everyone wants to talk about for last because we got to talk about that. And Mr. Campbell's already putting it there. Let me be that guy. Southern could have could have had Lindsey Scott Jr. Julia's rolling over in his pajamas. <laughs> I don't want to say nothing, but yes, they probably could have had Lindsey Scott Jr. And that is a major issue, but North Dakota state 27 to nine win over Sanford. And we talked about what could have happened in terms of North Dakota state and stop me when y'all, when you, when you said, when you've heard the story, where, tell me where you've heard the story before you have an explosive offense who likes to put up a lot of points and pass the football going up against North Dakota state. And they ran the football and could, and just were more physical at the point of attack. That's just what happened. Quint, uh, Quincy, Quincy was just not ready for this moment. Eight for 17, only 52 yards had a, was sacked as well. They couldn't establish anything in the run game. Jay Stanton only put up 39 yards. They ran for 57 yards total, only about two and a half yards per carry. They needed to start Michael hires. At hindsight, uh, listen, hindsight's twenty twenty. I get it. If he was healthy enough to go out there and do what he did in the second half, I don't understand why you don't start him. You have a guy. You, you're playing for your life in the playoffs, playing for a chance to go to the semifinals, be only the second team in the history of North Dakota State playing in the FCS playoffs to beat them in the Fargo Dome in the playoffs, and you don't start the SoCon player of the year, a Walter Payton Award finalist quarterback who was apparently healthy enough to play after halftime. Why don't you just give yourself the best chance to win? I, for me, I don't understand that. Maybe there was still some doubt. And it, when they saw they were losing at halftime, they decided to pull the trigger. Why wouldn't you give yourself the best chance to win with a, with a guy, Michael Hires, who has been, an absolute stud for you all season long. Why don't you why don't you give yourself the best chance there? Michael Hires comes in in the second half, goes 22 for 30, 227, a touchdown. Did have an interception, but he was also sacked four times. Give him the football and let him go do his thing. I don't think it's 27 to 9 if you start Michael Hires. And for North Dakota State, this was one of the poorer offensive games I think they've had. Kobe Johnson and TK Marshall did their thing. They combined for about 100 yards rushing. North Dakota State, 166, two rushing touchdowns. You do have to give credit to Sanford's defense. They played a lot tougher than I thought they would. Early in the game, I was shocked at how physical and fast and how well Sanford played in North Dakota State's backfield. But it just seemed like every single time they got any sort of momentum, North Dakota State made a play to... That made a play to change to change the game. 
five sacks. Javier Derrett played a hell of a game for the Bison. Two sacks, two tackles for loss. Courtney Eubanks had a big game as well. And Dawson Weber's interception in the second half led to the Bison kind of pulling away late. So give the defense credit. Cam Miller was efficient. He He's not going to put up Lindsey Scott stats or Michael Heyer stats. He's going to complete 83% of his passes and, and total two to three touchdowns. That's what he does week in and week out, and it's consistent. But the time of possession, I talked about it on the preview. This is a major, major issue for anyone going against North Dakota State. The Bison held the ball for almost 40 minutes of game time, and Sanford only touched the ball for about 21 minutes. You cannot go into the Fargo Dome and play North Dakota State in the playoffs and have that happen. You have to you you have to try to keep the ball in your hand, establish consistent drives, and get them off the field on third downs. And Sanford could not do it. Give credit to the Bison; though they get they get to host a playoff game next week due to Incarnate Word's upset. But there was there were some things I do want to see. And for North Dakota State, the biggest question mark I have for them, since I've gave, given question marks about everyone else, is injury, injury. Are they going to be healthy enough to go win the national title? They lost two more players this weekend to injury, all to like leg and ankle injuries. I mean, lower extremity injuries have been running rampant through the Bison program. Are they going to be healthy enough to make a run? That's my biggest question mark. They seem to get injuries left and right this season and they are not getting any luck from the injury gods this year and that's my biggest question for North Dakota State right now but let's get to the game of the year and last time I said this I had a, I had a fan comment and I won't name the school but I, but I think y'all know what school he said just because it's an offensive explosion does not make it the game of the year I challenge anybody who watched this game Argue with me that this wasn't the game of the year. Arguably one of the greatest playoff games in the history of the FCS playoffs, too. This game was berserk. If you have not watched this game, find it on YouTube. Go to ESPN and watch the replay. This game was absolutely insane. Insane. I you do 57 fourth quarter points were scored between Incarnate Word and Sac State. It was by far the most insane game I have ever watched in my life. I'm gonna read. I'm gonna read y'all some stats off real quick because I want. I really want this to sink in for people. Sac State had 49, 49 first downs, 738 total yards of offense, ran 109 plays compared to Incarnate Word 73. And won the time of possession 38 minutes to 21 minutes and went seven for 14 on third down, two for two on fourth down, and were nine for nine in red zone opportunities. That is a stat line from a losing team in the FCS playoffs, man. A losing team put up those types of stats. They scored at will it really came down to turnovers and who had the ball last like we were sitting in the press box after the montana state game and the big sky representative who was there was just saying 
why would you score when Sac State got to the goal line with a chance to take the six uh, to take the lead? They were saying they should take knees at the one yard line and run the clock out. That's how untrustworthy these defenses were. And is un and is when people look at this game, they say there was no defense. Incarnate words defense made. I, this is gonna sound crazy. Hang with, hang with me, and I'll explain myself. Incarnate words defense made plays to win the game. That sounds crazy when you see sixty six to sixty three. The difference was Incarnate words defense made the plays to win the game when they needed. Sac State did not. Incarnate word forced four, plus four on the turnover margin, and on top of that, Kalechi and Alabechi had that crucial clutch 55-yard fumble recovery in the fourth quarter that gave Incarnate Word the 14-point lead late in that game before Sac State had two consecutive onside kicks to get back into this. Every single time you counted Incarnate Word out, they seemed to force a turnover or make a big play. Brandon Richard was amazing for the Cardinals. Uh, Nine total tackles, two for loss. He had a sack, a forced fumble, and an interception for the Cardinals. He had a big performance. Caleb Culp and Kalechi Analabechi also had big games for the Cardinals defense. They gave up a whole lot of yards and a whole lot of points. But when you force four turnovers and the other team has zero turnovers, that, that's that's a huge difference in, in a game like this. And that that's what it came down to at the end of the day. And also, Lindsey Scott is just that good. That He is. And, and if he doesn't win the Walter Payton Award... Every single person who didn't put Lindsey Scott number one needs to answer why and who was really better and who were they aligned to because there is nobody who watched FCS football this year. A single game, there is not a quarterback or an offensive player who is more deserving of the Walter Payton this year than Lindsey Scott. You can't tell me there is. There's not even a close second, in my opinion, that he that even should be in the conversation for the Walter Payton Award. He should walk away with the award unanimously, in my opinion, and they should hand it to him right. They should have handed it to him at midfield on Saturday or, or Friday night, whenever that game was. Lindsey Scott, 219, four touchdowns through the air, rushed for 166 yards and another two touchdowns, and averaged 8.7 yards per carry. I I don't know what else. Six total touchdowns, almost 400 yards of total offense. I don't know. I don't know what else you want from a quarterback, man. And you also do got to give credit to Marcus Cooper, who had a stupid game too at running back, one seventy six on the ground, two rushing touchdowns, and letting Carnet Ward in receiving with fifty eight in the touchdown. And I do agree, Ron. Darian Chafin and Taylor Grimes are dogs, man. Absolute, absolute monsters, and they made play after play. And that game winning catch was insane. The game-winning catch was insane. I don't know how I don't know how Grimes came down with that. That was one of the best catches I've seen all season long. I great placement by Lindsey Scott, but an even better catch by Taylor Grimes. I don't know how he caught it. And on the other side, man, give Marshall Martin and Pierre Williams their credit. They combined for over 240 yards and four touchdowns. Had had 20 catches between the two of those guys. It just came down to incarnate word forcing the turnovers to win the game. And Lindsey Scott being that guy. And as soon as Sac State gave him the ball with a chance to win, 
I, I knew it was a wrap. I, you cannot give Lindsey Scott that much time. I know it sounds crazy. You cannot give him the ball with that. And the two onside kicks were insane. The fact they didn't see that one coming is it, crazy and agreed. His stats are even – so Lindsey Scott is now like the all-time leader in multiple things and didn't even play the second half – he didn't play the second half in like three games this year and still set all these records. It, it just insane to me. Oh, Lindsay would have had more. He definitely would have. The, the question for me though, with incarnate we're moving forward is the defense. Can they find a way to slow down North Dakota state? Cause I'll, I'll say this. There's a lot of guys in Fargo and North Dakota state fans who think, they're going to hold incarnate word under so many points. I don't see anyone in the country being able to hold incarnate word on under 30 points. It's just, I don't know if that's possible. Can North Dakota state go up there and put up 30? Yeah, it's going to be a shootout and I cannot wait to see that one. I'm extremely excited to see how North Dakota state approaches this game because if I'm them, I'm running the football down your throat all game long. Like the time of possession next weekend, if I'm North Dakota State, needs to be 55 minutes to five minutes. You get two drives, Lindsey Scott. I'm running out the clock all game long, especially if you can't stop my run game. I North Dakota State is going to have to play ball control, time of possession, and not turn the football over. That's the key. That is the key. You have to run the football down in Cardinal Word's throat because if you give them chances on the offensive side of the football, they are going to score. They are absolutely going to score. And I do hate this uh, this fact, too. I will say, both of these defenses are not as bad as people are saying. Everyone sees the score and the yardage and everything and just says, all oh, these defenses are garbage. They're not garbage. Listen, both of these offenses came into the game top five in the country in yards per game. You just had two elite offenses at the FCS level go up against each other. And toward the end of the game, man, especially in that fourth quarter, the defenses were exhausted. And you could just tell the offensive players were out there making plays. I think this was – I really do think the defenses had a bad game. But, man – these were just two great offenses going head to head and they were just making play after play after play. It wasn't the defense making them look good. I just think both of these teams are really, really good. You had the big sky offensive player of the year, Cameron Scadabo. Asher O'Hara was one of the leading rushers in the entire country. Lindsey Scott is going to be the Walter Payton award winner. You have two all-conference wide receivers and all-American wide receiver for Incarnate Word. You have an, multiple all-conference players, and uh, there was just so much offensive talent. I just don't know if the defense has had anything for it. And we'll see next week. is If Cardinal Word goes up and puts 30-40 up on North Dakota State, we're going to be looking back like, oh, I just think they're that good. And Incarnate Word has done this to everybody, man. Not 66, but they have they have thrown the football really, really well. That's a terrible game. And, yeah, Lindsey was just bombing people. It, no answer for that. Zero, zero answer for that. But, man, uh, call lines are open. Uh, let me go back here. Uh, 701-779-9585, man. I'm going to spend just a little bit of time taking comments, calls, whatever y'all want to talk about. 7485, you're live. What's going on, Blue? This is Margo from the Jets. Sir Retro in the chat. What's up, man? What's good, man? Hey, before I go to my off topic, I want to say this, bro. Like, listen, listen. 
I don't care what nobody got to say. That Sac State and UIW was absolutely top notch. You can say what you want to say about defense. Man, it is what it is. Man, that game was cold, bro. But listen, before I go to my off topic, I want you to speak on this, if you will. How you think that young man, number nine, for Sac State going to feel after knowing his drop TD pass is essentially – Perhaps you could say we ended the game. Well, not not ended the game, but it was extremely impactful. It, that was a huge mistake, and I do think he's probably beating himself up about it. But in a game like that, I do think it's kind of, I would say, a little bit narrow minded ish to say like that. That was the play. I, now that get, that play would have ended the game, but man, how many chances did both defenses have to stop something? You know what I mean? Like, I think there's so many plays you can look back to and say, we should have done this, we should have done that. It was just – the defense has just had a bad night. I, and it's crazy to say that because Incarnate Word forced four turnovers and scored a defensive touchdown in that game, which is even crazier to, to think about that. So I, I just think that play was big, but I will say that I think there were multiple moments you can point to and say that, that were – very crucial, especially I didn't even talk about this now that we're breaking it down. Why did Troy Taylor not call a timeout? He let like 15 <laughs> seconds run off the clock there on that last drive. What was that? That was horrible time management and coaching right there. You got to call the timeout. Why did why do coaches insist on taking timeouts to the locker room after the game? Those two timeouts did not serve him any better. Call the damn timeout and give your offense a chance. Indeed, indeed. Okay, now for my off topic. Yo, okay, so I'm not sure if it well, I, I don't I don't think it came from you, but a lot of the narrative about Akil uh, Glass was him not being drafted because of he wasn't this mobile like that, right? I, I guess he went fast. Yeah. What's the difference between him his slowness, if that's even a word, and Shadur's slowness? And I'm going to leave it at that. So I don't think it was really in terms of like top line speed. Like, I, I don't know what a kill or Shador's 40 time is or anything. The biggest difference between them is pocket mobility. And you see it with Shador all the time where if he gets pressure, he can get out of the pocket and still make a play on the run. And look at the Southern game, the first one, where they got upfield in their rush lanes and he went right up the middle and burned him for, what, two touchdowns? Or at least a touchdown in a big run. That's the difference. Akil doesn't get out of the pocket and, and make any plays. Or usually, he didn't have a tendency to do that. The problem with Akil is he didn't move his feet enough in the pocket, and he wasn't quick enough in the pocket to make defenders miss. Look at that Jackson State game uh, two years ago. Anytime they got pressure, he just took the sack. Like, he couldn't escape the rush. Shador consistently finds a way to get out of the pocket of, of, was it, evade defenders and go and make a play either with his legs or throwing on the run. That's the biggest difference between him and Shador. It's nothing about necessarily top speed. It's more pocket presence and escapability is the difference, not necessarily top-line speed. Okay. That's all I got, Blue. Appreciate it, bro. Hey, appreciate you calling in, man.
3363. You're live. Hey, Blue. How you doing, sir? What's good, man? Nothing much, man. Yo, um, I agree with everything you said about the um, about the games this weekend. I had a chance to watch the NDSU Stanford and the uh, and the Incarnate Word Sac State game. And you're right. If Lindsey Scott doesn't have the Peyton Award, I think that those writers should have their credentials revoked. And it's not even a comparison. Um, now, um, okay, before I get into my question, um, I think it would be safe to assume that the other semifinal game, the Montana State game versus South Dakota State game, I think both teams should probably have smelling salts with them because there's probably going to be some hard hitting going on in, um, in that contest. And why well, I have two questions for you. The first question is, is NDSU on upset alert, especially with all of the injuries that they had, especially on the offensive end um, so far? And there's a lot of Miak and Swag fans in here watching this. What, um, what do you think has to happen for Miak and Swag teams to be on the caliber of some of the games that we uh, teams and some of the games that we saw this weekend? So the first question is easy. It's a it's a it's a it's a yes because they're missing so many pieces. Hunter Lipke, Tamaric Williams goes down. There, uh, I forgot the wide receiver. Who? I, do you remember the wide receiver's name? Who? Uh, I forgot his name. Um, but, but he had I the ankle injury. Nasty, nasty. Yeah, nasty ankle injury. I mean, that was bad. Yeah, and he's going to be out for sure. Like, I mean, he's probably going to have to have surgery. So, how many starters? For like, if we took their opening day depth chart. And said, how many players are out? What you're missing, arguably, at least six starters or contributors. And then, not even including Phoenix Sproles transferring midseason. You're just missing so many pieces that if their offense starts slow, that's an issue. Mm -hmm. And if I'm not mistaken, someone tweeted out the last few North Dakota State losses. The exception was South Dakota State this year, who came back. The goal to the way to beat North Dakota State is to jump on them early. North Dakota State, yeah. especially this weekend, because let's just be honest, Sanford's defense is not better than Incarnate Words. Incarnate Word had a, has right. a better defense than Sanford, and Sanford gave them problems early. If North Dakota State starts slow and Lindsey Scott puts up 10 nothing, 14 nothing lead. Do we trust that North Dakota State is going to be able to make that up? Because they're not going to just be able to run the ball down your throat and control the time. They're down by two touchdowns. You got to trust Cam Miller to air it out some. Do you trust him to go out right. there and throw it thirty-five times? I don't know if I do I right don't. now. I definitely don't. Um, um, and then some of the play calling that Sanford did really didn't help them either. Like uh, uh, um, fourth and three, you've been running them all game, and then you call some kind of like some kind of reverse. Like what the hell was that about? I don't, uh, man, the play calling was suspect to say the least. And I, there's so many last week I was 50, 50 on the Sac state UIW game. I went with my gut because I trusted incarnate words offense. If this game was anywhere other than in the Fargo dome, would people be on the same North Dakota state can't be beat? No, um, um, if this game was at a neutral site, Incarnate wins by, uh, wins by at least two scores. I think that Ooh. them being in Fargo keeps it close, but you got to make plays. And, of course, I'm not sure if Cam Miller can make those plays. 
especially like late in the second because the one game they lost this year, um, NDSU jumped on South Dakota State early, but then South Dakota State punched them in the mouth, and then NDSU couldn't recover. So picture Cam Miller having to go through th- maybe three quarters of that. Yeah, that, like my biggest concern for UIW is just not allow like you can't I know it's tough you can't allow North Dakota State to go out there and average six and a half yards per carry that is you oh, no. you have to slow that down and Sanford did a hell of a job they did a great job and up until the you know late in the game they North Dakota State really didn't have any explosive plays in the run game is just can Kobe Johnson and TK be those guys at running back and that, that's a huge 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 question mark for me Right now, I love what Kobe Johnson does. He's proven. We we saw him in the national championship last year. TK's still a young yeah. guy. We know what their offensive line is. And then on the flip side, Incarnate War has done a pretty good job of protecting Lindsey Scott all year. The biggest – so everyone credits North Dakota State's pass defense. But if you really watch the games, I really do think the pass defense that they have in terms of per-game average that they allow – is more the front seven getting pressure on the quarterback and forcing him to be ineffective, kind of like they did with Hires at Tom and, and Quincy, is they were just getting pressure on Sanford, and the quarterbacks could never get comfortable. Even though they only had, what, five or six sacks, they hit the quarterbacks consistently. If they do that to Scott, that could cause major, major problems, especially with him being a smaller quarterback. That's really going to be the X yes. factor for me is who's going to win that front seven battle. And historically it's a lean North Dakota state. And that's my biggest concern for incarnate word is protecting Lindsay Scott and not allowing North Dakota state to average six and a half yards per carry and control the, and control the game. If Lindsay Scott gets hit early and if NDSU runs early, I, this game could be over by halftime. Yep. Because we've seen this, this where it's like people get like NDSU steps on your early stuff. And I said, the game is over before you know, because I think that, uh, um, um, I think that um, Christian, I think, from from South Dakota State was explosive quarterback as well. And then, of course, he got punched in the mouth. He got knocked out of the game, actually. Um, and then I think that Barry, as a sophomore, took on NDSU in the title game. That seemed to happen yep. to him. He got punched in the mouth. So will UIW's offensive line stand for that kind of beating? We don't know yet. Yeah, because they've done uh, – you know, Spencer Wages an All-American. We all knew what he was, but – the Javier Durrett or Durrett kid that has exploded for them, yeah. he is unblockable at times. I don't know where he came from or what age he, you know, what what year he is, but I didn't really know about him coming into the season. You know, the Tony Pierces of the world and everyone got a lot of uh, a shine, but man, Javier has been a monster up there, and that's going to be really interesting. But they got some linemen over at Uncarnate Word too. Nash uh, was it Nash Jones or? Something like that is an That's all-American, true. and they they have a lot of talent. It's just if I'm North Dakota State, Lindsey Scott, even if even if we have zero sacks, I need you to know we're coming, and I need I need to hit you. Even if I got to get a few rough in the passers early, I need you to feel me. Yes, I need you to be thinking about these green helmets coming through the line and putting you on your back all game long. And even if I got to take a few penalties, I need I need you to know we're coming. They did that to Christian when South Dakota State put up there a few years back. Uh, they have fewer from past, uh, past families also. But the first thing I said was that, no, they're sending a message. It's not about the yards. It's about knowing, knowing that you want to get touched whenever you go back to pass. So, yeah, I mean, I get it. it. It's a mind game. But, you know, for your other question, 
the biggest thing that's lacking right now in a lot of SWAC and MEAC teams is experience playing these teams. Because w- what do we talk about in the playoffs? What, why, why was everyone down on Sac State? Because they haven't proved they can win these games. William and Mary Correct. has not been here under Mike London. And it, sh- and it showed this, this past weekend. Holy Cross doesn't have a lot of experience playing these games. No one really gave them a chance. Sanford, you experience in these moments in these games against these type of teams are the biggest thing. And sadly, like a lot of those teams don't have that experience. And that's the biggest thing. And also developing talent. I, when, when you go down these rosters, look at all the either transfers that developed really well at their school that they weren't that at their other school or high school guys that have turned. You go down North Dakota State's roster outside of a handful of transfers. Everyone was developed from high school. Everybody. Yes. And same for South Dakota State. And Montana State, the exact same thing. Uh, and then even if you want to, even if you want to get to Incarnate Word, Lindsey Scott was not this guy at Nichols because trust me, Nichols would have won the Southland with Lindsey Scott if he was playing like this. So you got to yeah. give him credit. And then also, um, you got to look at the Darian Chaffins, the Taylor Grimes. Uh, it's just it, consistently having that type of talent. But the biggest thing for me is the experience playing. If you don't play nobody of this caliber, when you get in these moments, you don't know what to expect, and you get punched in the mouth. Uh, that's a big argument for that. Look at all the teams that everyone critiques strength of schedule coming into the playoffs. Where are they all at right now? They sitting at the house. Ain't, yeah. If you ain't played nobody, you ain't ready for the moment. And that I think that's that's a huge, huge piece that no one really wants to address because no one wants to offend any schools or offend schedules or whatever. But at the end of the day, if you ain't been in the moment, you're probably not going to deliver when, when when it finally gets here. It blew your mind about that because actually I was so bad for him and Mary this year watching that game the other night. I mean, so, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I'm like, okay, should they have even left Williamsburg and even flown out there, or are they just been out just packing their bags and then just just shipping them out there and then having the bags play on the field against them coming because that was ridiculous. But yeah. I wasn't expecting well, yeah. that. Fifty five. It was fifty five nothing for the whole game. I mean. Montana State went out there and made them look garbage. Like if that was the first game of of random person ever watched a woman marry, and you told them they went ten and one with a CAA championship and beat an FBS school by double digits, pulled away. They would have pulled away in the fourth quarter. Yeah, it was mind blowing that they got beat like that. It wasn't even close from the jump. It, I'm telling you, I was there on the sidelines and I was I was talking to the William and Mary guy. The photographer and I was like, "Man, I don't know what just happened." Wow, awesome! Well, thanks for taking my call, Blue. Really enjoy what you're doing, brother. Hey, appreciate you, man. Thank you for calling in. Thank you. Seven six eight one. You're live. Hey, Blue. How you doing? What's up? I do want to counter something you just said, then I'll get to my question about the whole experience thing about UIW not having experience at this point in the playoffs. Oh, that that one about UIW. That that, that that was about uh, SWAC oh, okay. and MEAC teams. Oh, fair enough. Okay, because my my question was: Do you think even though like these guys weren't developed at UIW, just the fact that they all have a lot of experiences is what Lindsey's got sixth year playing college football. Chafin's a senior, Grimes is a senior. They've got a lot of football experience on that team. So I think that's what's also made the difference for UIW this year compared to like last year. 
I agree. I agree with that. Anyway. They do have they do have a lot of experience because I mean, Kalechi's a senior. Um, Cam Preston's a senior. Lindsey Scott's a, a graduate transfer. Marcus Cooper is a junior, I believe. Taylor Grimes is a senior. Yeah. Uh, Darian's yep. either a junior or senior. So you got a lot of experience. And the offensive line has three or four seniors, too, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Anyway, so getting to my question, um, I, I know some of us have already been hitting it in the chat about Lindsey Scott likelihood or lack thereof of getting to the NFL. What do you think about that? And also who else in the playoffs has kind of boosted their stock about maybe getting to be a higher draft selection? Oh, that's a good question. Um, Isaiah Fonzie for sure. Even though he's announced that he's going to come back for another year, the fact that people are seeing him healthy again and getting reminded about what he really is, it, it is really going to help him. Um, I'm trying to think like now going through all these performances. Isaiah Davis for South Dakota State. I think he's really improved it. Also, I think he should be a first round pick already. Cody Mock for North Dakota State. That dude is a dog. I'm telling you, I like Trevor Penning coming out of last year. I think Cody Mock's a better prospect than Trevor Penning right now in terms of offensive linemen. He is. I, I don't even know how to explain how much I like his game. He is on a whole nother level. And I think him being on ESPN two on the big stage in the playoffs, you're kind of seeing the social media tracks that increase increase. That's a, um, it's a, it's a, it's a big thing for him, but in terms of underrated prospects, I'm hoping this helps Lindsay Scott, but even though, even if it doesn't, I think incarnate words, players are the wide receivers are being helped. The Taylor Grimes, they're they're kind of reminding me of a Cooper Cup type thing, and then also Darian Chafin has the length to be a number one wide receiver in my opinion. And I think he's showing a lot, and then Kalechi Analabechi is a guy who I really really like at linebacker. He's a bit undersized, but he's been able to really show his athleticism, his ability to play sideline to sideline, and his instincts are next level. And he's been a leader in All-American and All-Conference guy in Incarnate Word for a while. I think he's a very, very underrated player. And that's another guy I would say des- deserves to have some NFL draft buzz around him. I, Owen, I'm with you. Listen, I've told you. I've told you. I didn't like the fact that Montana got in. I got you. But that that wasn't really a shot at FAMU, I think. It was just it the same thing happened to FAM last year in terms of southeastern Louisiana losing that game. I think it's it's not the whole debate about whether they should have got in. It's just what would who if would FAMU have won their first round game? It's it can be debated till the end of time, but that was more what we were talking about. I respect your perspective, but however, there's no way on earth two teams scoring sixty plus points is one of the best ever. Hey, that's fair. Listen, I'm telling you, if you watched the game, that was exciting. And there's a reason that everybody has said that was one of the best games of all time. I get it. I love defensive battles too, but I'm with the onside kicks, with the crate, with the defensive touchdowns and the craziness and the timing of things, I really do think it's got to be in consideration. One of the third, the schedule, um, that conference went 21 and five outside the conference and had two FBS wins. One weather teams are brave and badass till they come up to the urban plays or big sky country. <laughs> Man, it was, I'm telling you, it, it's different up there. If you haven't been in the cold up there, it, it is different. And also the biggest thing, okay. 
I didn't really think about it on the show because I didn't, um, I've, I've never been up there really. So for me, even I was like a little bit sick on Friday night during the game. Like I was a little nauseous and it's because of the elevation. The elevation really and truly is the biggest thing up there. That's so hard. Cause even if you're in shape or condition, it's sometimes it's just hard to breathe up there. Like I'm from Mobile, Alabama. So we are right at sea level, maybe a little bit under sea level. Going up to the mountains in Montana, I believe Bozeman, Montana is like 5,000 and some odd feet above sea level. The elevation is the toughest thing, and I really do think that affects some of the southern teams' ability to perform up there is the fact that you are so high up in terms of elevation. And on top of that, it's it's 15 degrees, and there's snow, and there's ice on the sidelines and ice on the field. I just don't know if combined with all that, whether it's it's, it's just a tough place to play if you're not from there uh see a a fonzie getting another season makes msu a big time contender next year too problem is a much they have a brutal schedule next year uh they really do um uh, fonzie though looking at him i think he is going to be an nfl draft prospect and the fact that he's already the leading rusher in montana state history he if he gets a full healthy year next year the Montana State rushing record is one that it might not be touched for 30 or 40 years. He's going to set it so high that no one even has a chance to touch it for years, to be honest with you. Who does SDSU um, have on the schedule? They play at home versus Montana State and Drake. Okay, so yeah, he just answered your question. Uh, MSU loses six starters on both sides of the ball. Owen D-lines all return. No, it's always something I don't want to spend. We're just going to agree the horse is dead, though. I ain't kicking it no more. <laughs> fair enough, man. Fair enough. And I, I don't, I hate debating still because there's still people, social media, and this is just a tangent because we, we got time to talk. Social media has been the most toxic place of all time if you cover HBCU sports. I just want to throw that out there. After the whole FAMU debacle, which is what Owen's talking about. And the prom thing, it has been so toxic on social media. If you're in, if you're in that like HBCU football space or athletic space or whatever, there was a guy today. I tweeted, uh, I tweeted about it today. There was someone who tweeted at Stephen Gaither. If you don't, if if any of my FCS guys don't know who Stephen Gaither is, he is the founder and creator of HBCU Game Day. You got people tweeting at Stephen Gaither saying that he didn't know about Jackson State till prom got there. It has been just a wasteland on social media right now after after everything that happened with prom it's been insane and i just i'm ready to i just love to talk x's and o's rather than all that owen so i feel you on that uh let's see uh that bs ship been sales just don't schedule d2 what is your stance on the a sign oh man i don't see it happening I'm going to be honest. Do you know how much it's going? It's going to take me. It's going to be hard to convince me that what Utah Tech is ready to go to FBS. I just don't see it. It, If it's a five, 10 year plan, then maybe there's a lot of schools who are possibly ready to go like the Eastern Kentuckys and everything. But, man, there's a lot of schools in this ASUN-WAC merger that are not ready to go. 
I just don't see I, I don't see the the facts behind this. It's going to take a major effort by a lot of the smaller schools in this merger to make this happen. I, I get wanting to go, but wanting to go and having it be feasible are two different things. You just can't convince me that some of those schools are going to make the jump to FBS. You, you, I'm sorry. Maybe, maybe I'm missing something. Maybe I'm missing the money, but I don't know. Is Utah Tech and Tarleton because Tarleton just came up from D two like two years ago. Now they've been making moves to move up, but zero shot that they're ready to go right this second. Stephen F. Austin, you could potentially make an argument, but I just there's so many teams in this merger that aren't ready. I'll just say that. That's where I'm going to leave it on. I need to see the money, the financials, and the feasibility studies behind that move. Owen said, "What? Did, I'm telling you, Owen. Can you imagine?" Can you imagine telling Stephen Gaither that he didn't know about HBCUs till Prime got there? SDSU better bring a crowd, a, a bigger, better crowd than last week. There's a lot of Bobcats traveling. The, some of the people I talked to, uh, man, I said that they were going to travel to Brookings. I'm excited to see what that attendance is going to be like. How does the FBS keep bringing up terrible FCS teams? I don't know. I don't know what the. I, I don't know what the like North Alabama. Why would you want North Alabama right now in the FBS? What value does no offense to North Alabama love the coaching hire they made this offseason, but what value does North Alabama bring to any FBS conference or FBS anything? Why are they even a prospect right now? Really blows my mind. Besides Afonzi, who from Montana State do you think get a shot in the NFL? Mm. Let's see. Willie Patterson may get a shot. I really do. I, I think Willie Patterson is someone you could look at potentially getting a shot. Marquis Johnson is a bit undersized, but I think in terms of a utility player, special teams guy, he could get a shot as well. On the defensive side of the football, I love Callahan O'Reilly, but I don't know. We'll see. He potentially could get a look. And another, another young guy is the offensive lineman. He's a freshman. He has a long way to go. He is the Omar kid. I'm blanking on his last name. I think he's number 65 or something. He was an all-freshman guy for us. He was one of the highest grade. I think he was. He might have been the highest-graded freshman FCS offensive lineman this year. But Omar has a chance to potentially get some NFL looks when his, when his career comes to an end as well. Uh, Texas Southern is more ready for FBS than Tarleton State is. Ah, I don't know. Maybe. Austin P's AD wants to move up by 2025. Pa okay, Austin P by 2025 could be ready. They're, they, they at least they gave themselves a timetable to get the steps together. But I don't, I still don't think the whole conference is ready to move. And we'll see if by 2025 the rest of them could go. Do you think Delta State? I've been told no by people in the chat. I don't kind of know the financials. Listen, I'm just the X's and O's guy. I'm not Dr. Cavill. I haven't done a bunch of feasibility studies behind the scenes about money and things like that. But what I've been told is that Delta State is not on the short list of D2. I think West Florida would be a D2 school that jumps before anybody. I think West Florida is going to be one of the schools that are going to be moving next very, very quickly, I think. Bring up... Uh... <laughs> 
one receiver, two secondary players, several linemen, and one running back. It's all about the money. The FBS Ponzi scheme, a wicked game. My thing is, okay, let me run this by you guys because everyone is looking at the FC at the FBS as a money, like a, like a, it's like the lottery. Like you move up and you get a bunch of money, which right now it is. But let me ask, because right now what the, what the FBS is running into is there not a lot of bowl. There's not enough bowl eligible teams. Like there was bowl games this year who were, that were canceled because they didn't have anyone to fill it. If you have a bunch of these FCS schools jumping up, the playoff committee is about to be revamped in terms of payouts and, and the structure of what's going on there. What happens when these new conferences or there's too many teams and the payouts get reduced or not all these G5 conferences get payouts or, or anything like that? I just feel like there's so much uncertainty that everyone's just in a rush to get there and potentially get a bowl game that is there's going to be too many teams and not enough bowl games. So what happens when there's X number of bowl eligible teams, but there's not, there's not enough bowls for those bowl eligible teams because you've, you've had the entire FCS move up. Then what happens if your team doesn't make a bowl game? And, and if you're just relying on the bowl money and potential college football playoff payout money, to survive at FBS, don't that does not seem like a real viable um that doesn't seem like a viable plan moving forward. You're betting a lot that your team's gonna get six wins in the FBS. That's what you're doing. And if they end up sucking and ended up being like a UMass or a New Mexico State or someone and they're hemorrhaging money, then was that move really worth it? And how far did you set your program back in the long run? So I just think I get it. You want to try to get in while you can. I I would I'm gonna say this. I would say, in my opinion, you're gonna see a lot of teams move back down in the coming years. I think by about 2025 to 2030, you're gonna see a whole bunch of teams who rush to get to FBS drop down because the grass wasn't actually greener. I'm just gonna say that. I I don't see a lot of these teams surviving at the next level, and there's gonna be a lot of Idaho's. Montana's FAMUs who make the move. It didn't work out and they end up coming back to FCS. I'll just say that. I, I can see EKU. Yeah, EKU's a team that I absolutely can see jumping up. I think Malat could be an Edelman type situation. Shifty QB in college moved to receiver. I can see that. I, I would not be surprised about that. When does Sam Houston realize they made a mistake and moved back down? They're gonna. I, they're not gonna be. I don't think they're gonna compete next year. Just in my opinion, I think uh, JSU should go for Delta State's head coach. That's not bad. Valdosta's got to get their own stadium, Lawrence. Um, I, that's the number one thing is I think they got to get their own stadium and they got to start putting a little bit more money in facilities. But based on the Valdosta alum that I talked to, I don't know if Leon's in the chat. I think Leon's in the chat, but. Uh, Valdosta has some things they got to do before they can make the jump. Great hire by Towson, by the way, too, to get UWS coaching. Don't be surprised if Austin Douglas, quarterback at uh, Western Kentucky, the quarterback who led West Florida to the national title, he's back in the portal. Do not be surprised if he transfers to Towson to be with his old coach. 
MSU, UM, SDSU, NDSU, I think will be in the Mountain West in five to 10 years. But if South Dakota State and NDSU move to the MAC, uh, they will be a problem from the jump. I agree. There's multiple top FCS teams who could win the MAC this year. This year, those ball games should have reached out. Three card Monty, it's a sucker bet chasing FBS. Some bowls need to be eliminated. Most are not feasible. I I agree with that. There's some bad bowl games out there. Yeah, there's some really bad. Like, who cares? Like, I I won't call out any bowl games, but who wants to go play in the Bad Boy Mowers Bowl? Uh, any any interest for anyone in the chat? Are you excited if your team goes to the Bad Boy Mowers Bowl in Gap in like random a uh, random city in Florida? I think it's going to be two super conferences in the rest of 30-team league. Been saying that for a while, man. It'd be nice if they instead of like put some money toward FCS. I will be playing in the playoffs having fun, not the mutual Southern Mexico Beach Bowl or whatever. <laughs> I don't see reason for any Montana teams to move up. Not much upside. Tons of travel. And we have a lot of history in the big sky. That's fair. I know there's I know it was kind of split. I've I've talked to some Montana State Montana fans who want to move up and others don't. It, it seems to kind of be like a 50-50 split from the people I've talked to. Ten million dollar TV deal versus a hundred thousand. FCS will have all the have all the teams we lost uh filled with new or old. There's a lot of money in FPS, but your expenses are greater. I agree with that, Rob. It's a because you got to fund all those scholarships, and there's some schools that don't have the number of sports that are required to be at the FBS level either. So they're gonna have to create certain sports. It's going to be less ball games when the playoffs expand. Yeah, because you had to get to the playoffs to play in some of those ball games. Now, most casual fans don't want to see the middle of the road uh, boutique schools. Ask Idaho how they like to jump. That's fair. <laughs> that is fair. How many players does UIW have on their roster? Ooh, Russ, off the top of my head, I don't know. I would have to go through the roster. They went through a coaching change, so I know there's a they, they got a few seniors. In terms of starters, Russ, I can't imagine it'd be more than six or seven, but I don't know how many people were, you know, maybe freshmen on that team that didn't play but are now all are now starters on this team. Uh, it's it's a solid choice. I, I think he he can do things. I just don't know if that UNLV job is a very good job. I don't know how you succeed. I don't like the Mayo Bowl just because the fact I don't like the Mayo Bowl just on the basis that they pour mayo on people. Man, I hate mayo. If someone poured a whole gallon thing of mayo on me after I won a bowl game, we would have to fight on the spot. Just gonna throw that out there. I could not take that, and it is disgusting. The fact that they dunk mayo over the winning coach—that's horrible. <laughs> he said the weed eater bowl. We got the Jimmy Kimmel. We got what the Barstool Bowl too. I think they paid for a bowl game sponsor now. Possibly. I mean, there's been some rumors of the split. But there's some people up in the higher levels of reporting in the NCAA that don't think it's going to happen. I, the next two to three years, college football, regardless of whatever way it goes, is going to experience a major shift in structure. 
I just think teams are trying to position themselves to be on the right side of it because there are going to be some teams that are kind of left out in the dust and no one wants to be that team, which is why I think you're seeing a lot of teams move to other conferences, move to different levels. Everyone's just trying to prepare for the inevitable shift in whatever the structure may be of the NCAA. Uh, possibly you could see some of the P5 conferences pull away. They got the money, but there's a lot of people who don't think it's feasible even in the long run for those conferences. They're trying to get a bowl game in Huntsville in the near future, the Rocket City Bowl. That's a Jesus Christ, the Idaho Potato Bowl. Bowl games are participation trophies for losers. <laughs> UIW has to play some defense uh, this upcoming weekend. They They do. They do. I'm not sure that no one doesn't like you, Blue. Well, not Wink Mayo. <coughs> I don't know. He said Mayo equals the transfer portal. <laughs> I'm good on all that. I'm good, man. I, I can't trust people that eat a lot of mayonnaise. I'm good. It should make a new division in between the FCS and FBS. That's kind of what the group of five is already. I think if you're going to split, what, what the most likely shift is, is you're going to have the power five. They'll probably compete for the, what you could have is the power five that competes for the FBS playoffs or the college football playoff. And then you could have the group of five and the FCS. But I really just think, I know you have to do some restructuring. I don't think the the separation from the top of the FCS to the group of five is that different. I really think if like you just say, let's take the power five and let them do their own thing and they compete for the college football playoff. Why would you not just combine the group of five in FCS and then have D2 and D3 and and, and AIA and all that? Why not just combine the group of five in FCS and then keep the playoff system, kind of revamp it, put some money in it. Why would why would I don't think you would need a new division? I just think the group of five is what you're talking about, Daniel. But I do think that the FCS and group of five are pretty similar. You can't convince me that anyone in like the top 20 of the FCS couldn't compete in a group of five conference right now. So I, I think that would kind of help force the NCAA to put a little bit of money in. And really and truly, let's just, let's just be honest, all the FCS people in here, all the older people in here, if you combine the group of five for FCS, really and truly, all you get is the FCS from the past, Appalachian State, Coastal Carolina. Uh, I guess you could throw Liberty, even though they're independent. They're kind of like a, a group of five. Indip- Liberty. Um, who else do you want to put in there? Georgia State, Georgia Southern. Uh, Jacksonville State, Sam Houston State, all would be coming back. It's just you, J- James Madison. I mean, you would it would literally just be the FCS revamped at, in, in a sense. You would just need the NCAA to put some money into it and kind of work out the conferences, what the postseason structure would be. It would just be revamping the FCS. And I think it would be a good thing because you would have a lot of rivalries and conference affiliations come back. I, I, I think that would be the the move there. I don't think there could ever be a power five group of five FCS. I just think you got to combine it in my opinion. Maybe it's too many teams, but I think with the brand names and former rivals, things like that, that, that would be, that would be the move. If, if you're asking me, I'm cheering for an instant of Blake collapse. Personally, we need a massive redesign thousand percent agree. And I'm not surprised Nick, uh, Nick, 
who I don't know about you guys. I can't afford to just travel to Bahamas to go watch six and six Georgia Southern play Tulsa. Who is traveling from Tulsa to the Bahamas to see an to see a bowl game that kicks off at 10 a.m. on a Thursday afternoon? Right before the holidays. No one wants to do that. Nobody. Do it like soccer does and relegate teams. I would love man, the chaos. The chaos, Leon, that would that would happen. I would love it. Power Fives adopted G5 conference and relegated at the end of the season. I would love to see that. I, me and Brandon, back before we were on YouTube, had an episode about how that would work. I would love the chaos that that would cause. The one matchup I've wanted since jumping the FCS was NDSU versus App State. They were the kings at the time. I will agree with you on that. I think some of the Mountain West teams need to move back. There's a few There's a few group of five teams. I won't call them out now that I think can move back to FCS really, really quick. That feels right. The revamped FCS. JMU was successful this year because of those extra scholarships they got. That They were so quick to be successful, Leon. I was so impressed with James Madison this year. I knew... I knew it was good. They were going to be good. I thought they were definitely going to be better than Sam Houston and Jacksonville State will be next year, but I did not think they were going to be as good as they were this year. Even New Mexico State's going bowling this year. They are. Bowl games don't mean what they once did, especially with the college football playoff. Even the good bowl games, like I know they rotate through, but when the Rose Bowl is not a part of the college football playoff, it it means nothing. I don't know if you – I know a lot of you guys remember the Rose Bowl. Winning the Rose Bowl used to be – almost just as big as winning the national championship to win a sugar bowl, a Rose bowl an orange bowl. Some of these legendary bowl games that used to really, really, really mean something. And now if it's not the national championship or in the playoffs, like no one really cares. Like could, could you name the last team to win the Rose bowl when it wasn't in the playoffs? Cause most people can't cause most people don't care. I want chaos FCS and FPS. And make Holiday Madness 614 tournament spanning a month and a half. Imagine. <laughs> oh, man. College football might be structured like how college basketball is. It definitely could. I, I just talked about that, CJ. There's a few teams I just don't see making the jump right now. I think that's a long term plan, but I can't see it happening anytime soon. I think that's a five plus 10 year plan to. To, to make that happen. Like the North Alabama's, the smaller teams are just not ready to make the move, in my opinion. I was never a fan of bowl games. On another note, I, I personally believe the transfer portal will hurt FCS more than anyone else. The FCS develops the talent and they leave. I've said this a million times, Nick. I said it on the roundtable the first time and a lot of people weren't happy about it. The FCS, what's going to happen and it, you're because everything kind of balances out. We've seen some great P5 bounce backs that have developed into great players at the FCS level. Those are few and far between. What you're going to see more of the trend that's really going to happen at the FCS level is you're going to see a lot of breakout players in the FCS transfer to P5 programs, to FBS, and all those players who couldn't make it at the FBS level transfer down. Because they because they can't compete at the top level, it's like Lawrence said. It's almost like the new JUCO. They're just they're going to get hot. They're going to be all conference. They're going to be an all American. They're going to have a breakout season and they're going to dip. They're going to get offered a bunch of money by NIL. They're going to get a lot of text and and DMs saying, 
I need you to transfer. You should come to this level. This is what we can offer you. And what they're going to do is when they bring in that Andrew Armstrong or Tyler Hudson or Cameron Ward, the guy he replaces who wasn't very good is going to come back down to FCS and take a spot at, at the FCS level or, or wherever. That, it's a horrible trend, and I hate it because I love it for the kids because I'm glad that players like that get an opportunity, but it's bad for the FCS because you're going to have so much roster turnover that you're not going to know what to do with. And so then you're looking at the FCS like, what do we do? How do we really and truly manage our rosters and create a program when every diamond in the rough we find that we spend the time developing and putting our resources and time into every time we develop a great player, he's going to leave and it's happening all over the place. I mean, all over the place. And so that's a huge worry for the stability and the longevity of the FCS is what happens to all those Eric Berriers, the, I mean, going back, I mean, all the great Walter Payton and Buck Buchanan award winners from the early two thousands and nineties who were developed at FCS programs, you're not going to have those anymore because Eric Berrier in the age of NIL and transfer portal five years from now, he's going to be gone. He's going to have a breakout year in Eastern Washington and Washington or Washington State is going to call them up, Oregon, USC, and say, why don't you come play for us instead? And it's just, it's kind of like a catch-22 and a double-edged sword for the FCS is you might get an Aubrey Miller. You might get a Lindsey Scott transferring from in, in, in from LSU. You might get those at once in a while studs that transfer down, but odds are you're not going to get that on, on P5 bounce bags. JMU 47 to 7 of Costa Carolina is while their coach left. That is fair. Big time schools will just find a way to abuse an IL and transfer portal. Look at Colorado. There you go. That's a perfect example. 2,000 kids went to the transfer portal last year. Less than 40% found teams hurting or helping FCS. Or, wow. Exactly. I, and there's so many players who just wound up without a home. I, at this point, it's like this. I, and I hate to compare it to this. People compare it to free agency in the NFL and the NBA. It's not even that. Imagine the NFL and NBA where at the, at the end of every year, even if you were under contract, you could just enter the – free agent market just to see what you could get that's what's happening because what you can do now too is enter the transfer portal multiple times and if you don't leave you can just keep entering just to kind of see your value so if you enter once you come back to your school have another breakout year and you can wait till you get the offer you want it's just it's insane to see it look i mean look at jt daniels no offense to him but what he's about to transfer to his fourth school in his career I, that's crazy. That's insane to me. Four schools in one college career, and he potentially could be like an eighth-year senior due to some like weird injury medical redshirt rule. FCS is going to be more like a JUCO. Three stars and under get their weights up. Four and five stars got a chance competing with the transfer portal players. I I, de- I agree with you on that one. FCS wasn't as competitive and filled with talent. Like this to pass 10 to 20 FCS dudes are now getting way more looks even picked up before FCS talent is underrated, but the problem is they're, they're leaving Andrew Armstrong. I mean, how many FCS players enter the portal this year? I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but if I'm not mistaken, it was like a record number of players from the FCS that transferred. It, uh, man, this is crazy. 
the only team in FCS to keep their great players will be national championship contenders, and those will leave often just to become second stringers. There you go. Because there are a few schools like Montana State hasn't had a lot of players transfer out. North Dakota State's getting hit left and right. South Dakota State's been pretty solid. There's a few teams that have done really well keeping their talent, and even FAMU hasn't had a lot of players transfer out. But a majority of FCS is just like a in and out door. I mean, everyone's coming and going. I think the G5 schools are, go, are going dangerous with getting three five-star recruits, three to five-star recruits out of high school because of the transfer portal. I agree. It's it. Why would you? Why would why would you recruit a player just for him to dip out the next year? Players follow coaches first school, second conference, third. Agree with that. I mean, I ate amazing. Listen. I went to Ted's. I, everyone from Bozeman in here. I went to Ted's. That's, that's where it was recommended. The Bison Burgers there, on point. That it was amazing. Great food up there. I had a I had a blast in Bozeman, and I, I ate very very well, man. You guys can cook up there. The Bison Burgers though, were definitely on point. It hurts high school recruits too because more teams are looking. Yeah, why would you recruit? Why why would you recruit a a high school player, Nick, when you can go get a a Johnny Cornelius from Rhode Island, who's a two-time All-American, to come with three years of eligibility left to come into your program. It'd be stupid to. Zero, three, nine, four, you're live. Uh, blue this cause in North Dakota. Hey, what's good, man? Oh, cold, man. How you guys doing tonight? Hey, I'm, I'm doing good. Doing good. Not cold down here in Mobile. I'll tell you that. It's, it's, like, it's like 70 down oh. here, and it feels real good. Oh, good. Well, I, 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 uh, I'm not a hater, but I, I hope you get uh, sunburned. Uh, anyways, I wanted to ask about the transfer portal. Do you think – I didn't want to type this, but do you think that the transfer portal with how it's kind of negatively affecting the FCS, do do because I, th- I kind of think it might go this way, but do you think that in turn might make it where teams aren't trying to get transfer portal kids instead they want to get the kids like ndsu sdsu montana where they can mold them and keep them for four years instead of the one and dones or even half a season and done and uh yeah that's i just want to know what you guys thought about that i'll let you go hey appreciate the call man um i think yes to a point but the problem is i mean even those players have offers to leave like it was it uh so maybe someone can correct me in the chat was it tucker craft South Dakota State, the tight end, he had an interview that was saying that there were FBS schools recruiting him. He wasn't even in the transfer portal. There were FBS schools in his Twitter DMs trying to get him to transfer from SDSU, and he turned them all down. The, the thing is, is you're going to have to recruit players who love your school and want to be there. That's it. You're going to have to hit on guys who don't want to transfer, who think they can make it from – where they are, like all those North Dakota State offensive linemen and everyone. Listen, you don't think there's a million teams right now who wish they had Cody Mock on the roster, but he went to a program and and he's doing his thing. So I just – you're going to have to build a culture of, of stability that kids want to play in. And that starts with, like you said, recruiting kids who want to be developed and be in your program. That, that's, hard, that's easier said than done, though. It's so hard today to – have any sort of roster stability due to the uncertainty of the transfer portal. Uh, man, Jerry versus the perfect one went from U Albany to Florida State and is going to be a first round pick at defensive end. I'd rather be a star at FCS school than a second or third stringer in the FBS school. 
I I don't blame you on that one. FCS is just going to be a farm league, and they won't share the money with us. That that feels like the mo- I know it's just the FCS is in a really really tough position right now moving forward. I honestly think there will be a couple of post grad and semi pro leagues credit for high school players to get recruited. College ball is not the same anymore. You got to be proven. You do. I mean, and at the end of the day, like this is like a semifinal league. Or not, or like a uh, semi pro league. This is that's what college football is is like a semi pro league to get you film, go to the next level, and make millions of dollars in the NFL. I mean, and now that you're paying players, they can make if you're really good millions. If you're if you're just average, you can make in the hundreds of thousands in NIL deals. I, it, this is a this technically kind of is a semi pro league to a point in, in in terms of what college football is, but. The high, the high schoolers are going to suffer because there's going to be some that don't get the opportunities they once did, which could open up, which FCS can kind of be that because here's what here's what could happen. And I'm going to try to explain my thought process here is you could have, of course, the five stars, the top transfers are going to P5. What those high school players are, are going to end up having to do, Lauren, is going to FCS, D2, even lower level group of fives have a big year. And then when those transfers are done at the P5, they are the next transfer. So you actually could have like a system where like at the FCS level that it, the FCS is kind of the semi-pro league for the NCAA where all that's where all the breakout stars in the transfer portal are recruited are from the FCS level. So you see a lot of the, I mean, look at what Campbell's doing on the recruiting trail with three stars. I mean, if, if those guys have breakout seasons, what's stopping a team the South Carolinas, North Carolinas were going into Campbell and be like, why don't y'all come here after y'all have breakout seasons? So it, and the NCAA is doing a terrible job of monitoring, tampering in the transfer portal too, because you have a lot of kids who are getting a lot of voices in their ears that are not looking out for their best interest and are kind of like trying to self-serve their needs in terms of, I really wish we could recruit this player. You should answer the transfer portal. They ended up not recruiting him as hard, not giving him the offer. And the kid ends up being left in the dust because he got a bad advice from a coach that really just kind of wanted the chance to shoot a shot at him. Will be any more bison birds in the national championship. Uh, that was a shot. I'll let Dave respond to that one. I feel like the Montana Dakota schools have been lucky to get some great homegrown talent as of late. Agreed that they have hit on a lot of prospects that probably want to hit anywhere else. And I will be at the FCS National Championship jersey. I'll be de- uh, over in Frisco, Texas on what was it, January 8th, 7th or 8th or something like that. I will definitely be there. Like Dancer Blue, I'd uh, love to hear anyone else's answers to why or why not as well. I hope it goes the route where they want to keep and develop over one and done written players. They, they're going to have to change Royce for just for the stability of college football. If you look at places like Montana State, the best players are people who grew up in the state or had family that went there. For example, Troy Anderson. There, that's a good point, Michael. Really, really good point. Uh, two years minimum before transfer portal eligible NIL cats for FCS. What do you think? Hmm. Some of the ideas I saw, Royce. This is just me spitballing. I do think there's going to have to be some sort of NIL regulations on the transfer portal. They're going to have to, it's going to be impossible, but they're going to have to try to find some way to monitor tampering. And I I know this is going to be unpopular. I'm sorry. You've got to limit the amount of time someone can transfer freely. You do. And the transfer portal windows was a needed addition, but you can't just transfer 
as many times as you want. I, you got to find some sort of stability. And I really do think the NCAA, the conferences, I don't know who necessarily would create it. You, there's got to be more education on transfer portal decisions or some sort of like they should have some sort of advisor for the transfer portal for some of these kids because at the end of the day, man, like there's so many kids making uninformed decisions on their future that you got to have someone start clearing kids, give them an advice, giving them information on what they're really doing in terms of the transfer portal. I know when it first started, everyone was just like, oh, this is going to be amazing for college football. We got to... We got we got to do this, this, and this, and everyone just kind of was like, man, let's just open the floodgates. You got to put like some guardrails on this because I, I think as much as it's been kind of promoted as a thing for college players that is great and it benefits college players, at the same time, there's there's a backside and a dark side of it of there's a lot of players who have really messed up their careers making uninformed decisions on where to transfer or when to enter the transfer portal. So I do think there needs to be some restrictions, but I do like the the NIL cap. I think the transfer portal window, window was one thing. They really do need to kind of monitor tampering, and I do think they got to put a limit on how many times you could transfer because the guys that are playing for like four schools in six years, that is outrageous. I, there you go. They really oversold both of them. They did. The case has been made to end the NCAA's nonprofit status and its antitrust exemption status. I like the Mike Mentor recruiting ideas, but those three stars and low four stars have not translated into wins. Agreed on that. He's going to have to win next year, Nick. If he gets back to Campbell next year, he's going to have to win. A semi-pro league is not a nonprofit enterprise, and it should not enjoy protections from its competition. There you go. The transfer portal is like changing your major. Some will not make it to the league, so go play and be another career choice. I will try, Royce. I, I'll, I'll look into kind of some op- some opportunities to pull some interviews together. Um, I, I'll, I'll I'll do what I can on that because I got there's a long all season. I hate that the all season is almost here. I'll try to pull some strings to get somebody from the upper level of the NCAA to come on for an interview. Hopefully a live interview. If not, I'll get questions from you guys beforehand on what you guys want to know and ask those in the interview. A bad decision. Oh, like you said, I'm not in the player. There was a player who was in line for a starting job, was already named the starter at his school at a certain position, transferred out due to some rumored NIL money, and has played about five snaps this year, and the opportunity is not there, and now he's getting ready to transfer for the second time. And now, instead of having a year of film and a year under his belt, entering his third year, third third year in his career, I think he's going to be a junior, and he has zero film, zero playing time, and has already burned his redshirt year. So... That is an example. No name uh, could be from it. My, uh, my my school that I graduated from, but I'm just gonna throw that out there. There are some um, there are some really really bad examples of bad decisions. I see nothing wrong with the portal if you're entering it. You already know your career not going well. Well, for 90 percent of the players, 10 percent will work. That's a fair assessment, and I, I think a lot of there is a lot of perception or, or some. 
some examples of guys really making a career out of it. And at the end of the day, if you're 21, 22, you're coming down toward the end of your career, you, you're an adult and you got to make decisions that you got to live with. So I, I, I think that's a fair assessment, Leon. I just, I still would like to see a few things. I think the transfer portal windows was the first step. I still would like to see um, a few more guardrails go up, but I understand your, your opinion there about you got to make your own decisions and you already know your career is not going well, so you got to do something. I have not heard that, Royce. I did. I asked someone close to Jackson State that I do talk to, and he said that there are no uh, no rumors that are true about that. If I had to bet, I don't think Ray Lewis is going to be the next coach at Jackson State. It did work. Kayla Williams, Leon. I think Addison and Kayla Williams are two that really worked out well. That's why Kayla Williams is holding the Heisman Trophy right now. Well, he declared for the draft now, but he was getting offers last year. Uh, so he could have been playing in an FBS school if he wanted to, but he turned it down to stay at South Dakota State for one more year. But, um, guys, I appreciate you, man. I'm about to run out of here. I'm going to catch up on some sleep after flying all day yesterday. But, listen, we got a lot of great content coming. I'll have hopefully some press conferences from the semifinals, the celebration bowl. I will be at the celebration bowl. I'll be on radio row. So I should have some interviews with some players, coaches, potentially even the director of the celebration bowl. And hopefully I'll get to see some of you guys in Atlanta. The round table will be back this week. Scotty has something come up last week. So we ended up not being able to do it. Um, pictures from the Montana state William and Mary game will be uploaded tomorrow on the website, the blue all conference teams will finish uh, dropping this week. We'll be doing two a day. I think the Big South and Ivy is tomorrow. Then it's like MEAC, MVFC, SWAC, and the rest of and Southland. All those are later in the week. And then All American will be dropping at the beginning of the next week. Um, but, man, other than that, stay tuned for more content. Celebration Bowl and semifinal live stream will probably be Wednesday night. I'll let you guys know. And, uh, man, I appreciate y'all so much. Hit the like button and subscribe. But until next time, guys, the Blue Bloods are out. Mm -hmm.